It's good to see you guys. It's good to be in the house. Thank you. I appreciate that. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. Sometimes we need to hear that, man. You know, there are, there are some traditions that we don't need to let go. Like, like knowing that church, when we come to church, we're gathering around God. We're coming to his house and we're giving glory to him. Because he's worthy of it, and he's here with us. He's present. He is Emmanuel, God with us. God with us. Not God far away, not God just in heaven, not God that I can't reach, but God with us. Anybody grateful to have God with us? I know I'm grateful to have God with us, God with me, because I need God with me. I don't know how you've been feeling, but, but I need God with me. I don't know what you've got going on in your life, but in my life, I need God with me. With me and Gabrielle, we need God with us. We have a 10-month-old son. We need God with us. We, could, we took him to school for the first time today, and that was like a, a whole experience. Yes, claps, but like also it was, it's, you know, it's, there's just a lot of uncertainty in life right now. You know, you don't know exactly how everything is going to go. How's he going to feel? Is he going to like it? Are we making the right decision? Did we choose the right place? But we got to go to work. We got to, you know, do what we've been called to do. And we got to trust God with the rest. And so I'm grateful that I have God with me. I'm grateful that we have God with us. And I'm finding that as I'm going through life, I'm just seeing that that's all I got. Somebody feels me. Thank you. That's all I got. That's all I got. I, I, I have God with me. As, as I go through life, I see that things don't become more certain. And, and I think that's what makes us very disappointed sometimes. And I think that's where a lot of us, we can find ourselves anxious. We can find ourselves depressed. We can find ourselves saddened because we are continually having our expectations unmet. And we think that when we just get to the next place, that's going to bring the security that I need. When I get to the next place, it's going to bring the stability that I need. When I get this answer, it's going to bring what I need. And yet, for some reason, at least in my experience, as I'm going through life, my circumstances changing don't make my life feel more certain. New seasons of life don't make my life feel more certain. And then I'm drawn to look at scripture and I look at people's lives in, in scripture and their lives don't seem to become more certain and predictable as they walk with God. In fact, their lives seem to become more and more unpredictable or less and less predictable, however you want to look at it. But when we look at people like the Apostle Paul, who is, is one of the, the greatest figures in Scripture, wrote a ton of Scripture, man, his life was not a predictable life. 
His life took a lot of twists and turns. His life brought a lot of new situations. And, and I think sometimes we need to be reminded who's writing what we're reading. Because we can, we can read certain things and we take it in through the lens of our own perspective or our own desires and, and what we want it to say, what we want it to mean, what we want the Lord to be speaking to us. Uh, but, but sometimes we need to take a, a good, sober look at, at what we're reading and who's writing. And when we're reading the New Testament and you're reading these letters to the church, you're reading the epistles, letters to the church in Corinth, the church in Ephesus, the church in Rome, the church in Thessalonica, the church in Philippi. There's, there's, there's a lot of letters to churches because there's a lot of situations going on and, and there is a lot of things to address because their lives are not becoming more predictable. So they need instruction, just like you and I do. God is still writing to you and I. He's still speaking to you and I through the scriptures. They're not just ancient words, but they're speaking to you and I and what you and I have going on because we need some type of direction. Life is not getting more certain. Life is not getting more predictable. And so today, before I dive in, I'm gonna give you a little bit more context. Today, I, I just wanna share with, with you guys what I was going through personally. Um, I've been, this, these past few weeks have been like a roller coaster for me, just with all the decisions we've been having to make, all the things that we're trying to figure out. And I feel like, right now might be like one of the most uncertain times like where I'm like, I have no idea like what the end of the year is going to look like. Like there are, there are so many things that we are trying to figure out and trying to decide on and we need answers. And, and, it, and it got so heavy for me that just on Sunday, I, I went into my office and I had so much going on in my mind. I'm like, there are so many things that I'm trying to process through. I feel like I don't even know where to start. And so I just started writing down all the things. And, and not like in a like calm, collected, cool journaling way. Like, let me just write down my thoughts. No, it was like, I'm stressed, God. And... And I have so many things that I need answers for. Like, I don't know how you're going to solve this. Because I don't think you could just give me all the answers to everything at one time. And I don't know if one answer is even going to make me feel better because I got so much. Has anybody ever felt that way? Anybody ever have so much stuff going on that you do not know even what to ask first? And it can, it can hinder your prayer life. Because you're like, I, I know I should pray, but man, I got so much going on. Isn't it, isn't it weird how that works? How you can feel like I got so much going on that I don't even know where to start. So then you don't pray. You know, it's like the time that you need to pray the most. You're like, ah. And I found that for me, lately I've been like, God, I know that you are able to do a lot of things. But I don't know how you're going to do all this. I'm just, I don't know how you're going to do all this. And 
I don't even know how to pray about it. I don't know how to ask you. Like, it was like that. And so I was just like, all right, well, I'm at least, since I can't figure it out, maybe it would help to at least see all the things that I'm concerned about. Because I feel like my mind is so clouded that, like, I'm not even clear on what I got going on. So let me write it down. And so I wrote down, I'm like, all right, I'm going to write down all the things that I'm currently stressed out about. And I wrote a list that totaled 20 things. <laughs> of all the things, of all the things that I was stressed out about. And, and afterwards, I didn't feel any better. Like, it, it, it was like, now I can see it. I can see what I'm stressed out about. I still don't know what to do. And, and honestly, this would be exhausting to pray about. It's literally how I'm feeling. Like, 20 things, God. I know how to pray, but this is a lot. I'm exhausted. We're not getting a lot of sleep. It's just nonstop, nonstop, nonstop. And then I got invited to a, 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 a prayer night and went there and God kind of like whipped me in the shape because the pastor was praying and it was so powerful, man. He was praying through the Lord's Prayer. You know, the outline, if you've been around for a while, uh, if you were here last year, we went through a whole series on, on how to pray, and Pastor Dennis kicked us off, and, and we talked about the outline of the Lord's Prayer, how to pray, and it really covers everything you have going on in life. It really does. And he was praying through it in a very powerful way, and I felt like God was like, you needed to be reminded that you're not as spiritual as you think sometimes. And... There are people who, are, who, are, who have been in this a little bit longer. There are people who can teach you some things. There are people who are praying and that you can learn from. And so I was literally like soaking in a lot. And I felt a lot better after that. And then the next day came and then more stuff came. And then the next day came and more stuff came. And I found myself in here earlier today. Uh, it was empty in here, and I was just talking to God. And I've, I, I, I pushed myself to just pray. Like, to do what I had just seen modeled, to pray. Because worrying about stuff doesn't change anything. Worrying about your situation doesn't change anything. It reminds me of when Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he says, which one of you, by worrying, can change the color of your hair or, one, or add one inch to your stature? You can't accomplish anything by worrying. So don't worry about anything. That's a huge statement. Jesus says, don't worry about anything. How are you doing with that? Like, imagine, doesn't that seem like an unattainable mindset? That can seem like an unattainable way of living life, to not worry about anything. It feels responsible to worry about things. Feels like as long as I'm worrying about it, that means I care about it. If I'm not worrying about it, do I even care? And so sometimes we think we're doing a good thing by worrying about stuff. And yet we get this radical command to not worry 
about anything. And so I find myself, I'm in here, I'm praying, and as I'm just declaring who God is over my life and declaring what he's already accomplished and and declaring that he is the provider and that he really is the answer to everything, it started stirring something up in me. And and I was reminded of the verse of scripture where, where Paul says, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. I can do all things through Christ. And, and surprisingly, he's not talking about a basketball game. And surprisingly, he's not talking about a football game. And this wasn't something that he wrote to put on his jersey or put in his Instagram bio. He was literally saying that I can do all things like the difficult things in life, the stressful things in life. I can handle my family relationships through Christ. I can handle my financial stresses through Christ. I can handle employment, unemployment. I can handle being in school, trying to get into school, trying to apply to school, graduating school, not having a job. I can handle these things. I can do all these things through Christ who gives me strength. I can achieve, but I can also deal with failure. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And I was just reminded today that I need Jesus to strengthen me. I don't just need to believe in Jesus and, and, and lift my hands and sing songs and come to church. I need a real God who can actually strengthen me when I feel weak because I didn't want to preach to y'all. I'm just telling you, I needed a word for me. I'm like, God, I need to be preached too. I don't think I have anything to say to anybody else, but here's what I do know. I do know that you have something to say, and I do know that we all need a word from God. I do know that we all need a word from heaven, and nobody needs a word from Vance. Everybody needs a word from God, and so I know that you're faithful. I know that you will provide that. I know that you will speak, and so then I was drawn to where Paul says I can do all things through Christ, and I started reading the letter to the church in Philippi, the book of Philippians. It's four chapters, and I read the whole thing, and I just walked around here, and it checked my whole life because Paul is writing to the church and he's writing from prison and he's not writing from an American prison he's writing from an ancient prison like an ancient barbaric prison like where it's under the ground and there's no air conditioning He's writing from prison, and he says some things that you guys have heard before, like that line. He's, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He writes that from prison. He's not writing that at halftime. I, I, I mean, I just need to talk about it because... That verse is so often applied to sports, and it's not that you can't do sports through Christ, but he's talking about real life. And sometimes we just pluck it out the Bible and just, and then it has no power when we're actually going through stuff. 
because you're used to seeing it on somebody's shoes or on some, just like a cute saying, you're used to seeing it on like a greeting card. And Paul is writing this from prison saying, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And, and I was reminded of why God will have a leader go through a difficult time sometimes because you're able to actually hear it. Like think about if Paul was writing that from like a palace, right? he's just a king, right? And he's just doing fantastic, living the blessed life. And saying, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. When you're in a difficult time, when you feel like you're in a pit, when you feel like you're in a situation you don't know how you're going to get out of, how's that going to encourage you? Thank you, Paul, that you can do all things from your palace through Christ. But it's different when he's writing that from the pit of a prison and speaking to you. And so sometimes God will have you going through a situation to show you who he is and to give you a voice in other people's lives. And sometimes the things that you're navigating and the things that you're going through are putting you in a position to be able to speak to people who are going through something difficult. So that you're not only able to speak to people who are going through easy things and people don't just write you off because, oh, well, you know, I'm going through too much. So it's a, I mean, that's a nice word, but you don't understand my life. And we can't do that with the Bible. Like you can't say to Jesus, you don't get it. You can't. Like you can't say to Jesus, life is too challenging and you don't understand. This is why Paul says you have not yet resisted unto blood. Like you're not bleeding. Like Jesus was bleeding. Paul got flogged like Jesus got flogged. Paul got beaten to the point they thought he, were, he was dead and they drug him out the city and, and the church got around him and prayed and he got back up and he kept moving and he kept writing letters and he kept doing ministry and this was happening repeatedly. This is why he would say stuff like persecuted but not abandoned. I've been struck down but not destroyed. And so... I understand that you lost your job, and I know that that's difficult. I understand that things are uncertain, and I know that that's difficult. I got beaten down to the point of everybody thinking I was dead, and God got me through it. So I believe that he'll get you through what you need to get through. And so I was just encouraged by this because he talks about a lot in this letter. He talks about being anxious. He talks about peace. And I was just taken back by the fact that somebody is writing to me about peace from prison. Somebody's writing to me about peace in the midst of their persecution. Somebody's telling me how to have peace when they don't know what's going to happen. Because he says in the letter, I know that God is going to deliver me from this. I don't know whether it's going to be through life or through death. It says, for me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. He says, I, I really don't know which one I would rather right now. Because if I, if I live, then I get to keep helping you guys. It would be better for you. But for me, like if I had it my way, to die, I'd be with Christ. 
And so Paul is, is walking us through his thought process of like either getting his head chopped off or going back to church and like, I don't know which one would be better. And I can only imagine the stress that he could easily be going through. Like how rough were those circumstances? The culture that they lived in, the church being under persecution, people getting burned at the stake, people getting thrown into arenas with animals, all for believing in Christ. And, and, and most of us, we're ready to toss out our faith at the first sign of disappointment and unmet expectations in our relationships, in our, in our work life, it, when, when we don't get recognized the way that we want to get recognized or when somebody mistreats us. And I'm grateful for some fathers of the faith who were faithful in the midst of a very trying and testing season so that you and I could be encouraged in the season that we are in. And so now speaking about all that, I want to look at, at, that, at that particular verse of scripture uh, in its context where Paul is saying he, he, he really celebrates the Philippians for, uh, for helping him financially as they were one of the, the primary churches to help him financially in his mission. And he says that, I know that you were concerned about me. And then in, uh, in verse 11, he says, in chapter 4, verse 11, he says, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. He's writing this from prison. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. That's where we get the word abundance. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. Does that give you some slightly different context for that verse of scripture? Does it make you think about your own life at all? Because he says, I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. How do you learn to be content in whatever situation you're in? by going through new situations. You learn to be content in every situation by going through every situation. Contentment is learned through experience. Contentment is learned through trial and error. God will sometimes bring you into a new situation to teach you contentment in that situation. This is why he says, I know how to be brought low. I want to speak to some people tonight who, who feel low. Because it's interesting that he says this. He, he doesn't say, I know how to be low. He says, I know how to be brought low. And sometimes... We are stuck in our minds trying to figure out how we got ourselves low. 
What did I do wrong? What decision did I make? What do I need to change? What do I need to fix? Where have I gone wrong? Where is the devil trying to destroy my life? If I could just fix this situation, and yet Paul is saying, I know how to be brought low. Do you know that God will bring you low? You could be the smartest person on the planet. You could be the most financially responsible. You could be the most pure-hearted. You can be the, the, a person with, with great motives and great intent. And you could be doing your absolute best and end up in a low place. How do I know? Oh, because Paul, who was doing more ministry than him? Who was working harder for the cause of Christ than Paul? Apparently nobody, because he writes in, a le- in another letter that of all the apostles, he worked the hardest. And nobody challenged that. Because we got First Peter and Second Peter, and Peter is a real guy. I mean, he's a big man on campus. Like, Peter was a major figure. John. Like, these were the guys who walked with Jesus, and yet Paul, Paul is where we get so many letters of the New Testament from, through his trials, through his situations, he's building the church. So it it could not have been punishment that he's in prison. It couldn't be punishment that he's in need. He's doing the right thing. But he says, I've learned how to be content in every situation. I know how to be brought low. Because God has brought me low and taught me how to be content in a low place. Because you will will have a different relationship with God in a low place than you have in a high place. How do you experience the comfort of God on the mountaintop? How do you experience the comfort of God in the peak of your success? You're experiencing the blessing of God, the provision of God, the favor of God in that season. You experience the comfort of God, the protection of God, the deliverance of God in a low place. And so he will bring you low. David says, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. He had learned that through walking through a dark valley, a dark situation in life, and seeing God be with him. Oh, God, you're not just with me on the mountaintop. You're not just with me in my success. You're not just with me when I do all the right things. You're not just with me when I figure it all out. You're not just with me when I'm the champion. You're also with me when I fail. You're with me when I lose. You're with me when I'm getting attacked. You're with me when I'm walking through an uncertain place where I can't see and I don't know what's coming. I've seen you be with me in that place and it's given me a different level of relationship with you. It's why David could say, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I won't lack anything because I've been in situations that I could have been lacking where it looked like I should be lacking and he still came through. Where it looked like I shouldn't have anything and he still provided. It may not have been the way that I wanted it, 
It may not have come through the place that I wanted it. David had to hide in caves. He was on the run. He had a military full of uh, not the most appealing guys. Like it says, everybody who was like destitute and despaired and, 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 and depressed. Like those were the guys who were with David. And yet he saw God come through for him time after time after time. How can you see God come through for you if you don't go through anything? And so he says, I know how to be brought low. I know how to be in a place that I can't get myself out of and still be content there. Like a pit in a prison. And I can write an encouraging letter to you. Not that I'm in need. He says, not that I'm in need. You're not in need. You're in prison, sir. You are in need. In my eyes, you're the most in need. He said, not that I'm in need. I'm good. Because I've learned how to be content in every situation. I know how to be brought low. And then what does he say after that? He says, and I know how to abound. Some of us don't know how to abound. Some of us go crazy when we get too much. Some of us don't know how to steward anything. Some of us will walk clean away from God as soon as we get abundance. So he says, I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound because I got to learn how to do both. And we think that our natural place is just going to be in abundance. Oh, if I could just get an abundance of everything, I'd be good. You might get an abundance of what you want and get destroyed. You might get an abundance and fall into an addiction because you don't know how to abound. There is still a level of restraint, a level of discipline, a level of humility that you need that you may not have that you learn in a low place. And sometimes God will bring you low so that you know how to be brought low and you know how to abound. Some of us, we get brought low and then all we do is chase after abundance and then we're hurt from being low. Hurt from being low so then we don't know how to abound because now I'm abounding from a place of pain. And now I'm building up protection and I'm focusing everything on keeping this that I got. And Paul is saying, no, I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. I know how to be content in every situation because you can be low and be unsatisfied and you can be high and be very unsatisfied. You can get everything that you're looking for and be unsatisfied. You can get the relationship that you're looking for and be unsatisfied. You could be miserable now and miserable then because you have not learned how to be content. You know how you learn how to be content? You learn. You learn the lessons. You go through it. You figure it out. For me, I'm learning how to be brought low and how to abound. How do I do what I'm called to do no matter what season I'm in? I just got to keep going. I got to keep putting one foot in front of the other. Might wake up and not know what I'm going to say. And God still is going to meet me. But I got to learn that. I got to learn it. And so as life is, is more and more uncertain, I'm seeing that God is wanting to teach. But it's just difficult lessons to learn. Learning how to have faith is difficult. Because faith is the evidence of what you cannot see. Yeah. 
You can't see it. That is the hard part. We can say it. Faith is the substance, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. You got to have faith. People love to talk about faith, but walking with faith is something different. It's something different because real faith means you're believing something that you cannot see. That's difficult. It goes against your natural senses. Your eyes are convincing you of things every moment. This is why sometimes we need to do social media detoxes. So sometimes we need to cleanse from everything we've been seeing because sometimes everything we're seeing is selling us a story that is counteracting our faith. And you're seeing people, I was going to say you're seeing people live lives, but you don't even know what you're seeing. You actually don't know. You're seeing what somebody wants you to think. It might be true. It might not. You don't know. And yet we can, we can start playing the comparison game. We can get envious. And, and we can get hard-hearted toward God by seeing images that somebody else is posting. And in our minds, we say, you're doing this for them. Why do they have this? Because of what you're seeing. This is why we have to guard what we're seeing. And sometimes if we are in a space of low faith, you really need to guard what you're seeing. Because what you're seeing will sell you on something and you will make real life decisions based on an emotional connection to something you're seeing when God is wanting to drive you by faith. This is why he says we walk by faith, not by sight. I mean, it sounds good, but living it out, because I walk by sight, I'm walking, I'm seeing the floor in front of me, it's so natural for me to walk by sight, and yet God is telling me that I'm not even supposed to walk on the floor that I see, I'm supposed to walk on his word. I'm supposed to walk toward the vision that he's given me. This is why Jesus didn't need a floor to walk. He started walking on water. Because he was walking by faith. But you learn that by being in need. Because faith says, I believe that I have something that I cannot see. And if I can't see it, it means it's not tangibly in front of me which means that it appears that I'm in lack. It appears that I'm in need. My circumstance looks like I don't have something, and yet faith tells me I do. The scene is set set, indeed. Faith is learned. Faith is developed. Faith is deposited in you by God, And then it is developed. How you use it, how you walk by it is what you learn. So you learn how to be content in every situation. You learn how to be brought low and you learn how to abound. That is one of the things that I'm worried about for most of us is we're only running toward abundance. We're only running toward 
the achievement, the blessing. And, and I get it because that's what we want. I want relief just as much as you do. I want the mountaintop just as much as you do. But I can see in the word, I can see in seasons of my life where I did not need the mountaintop at that time. I needed the valley. Needed it to give me proper perspective. And here's the other thing. The mountaintop can be dangerous. You think you know how you're going to be in another season, but that's just what you think. Because you think you know yourself better than you really do. And God really knows you. And so God will delay a season because he knows better than what you think. So you might think you'd be better off not being single and God knows that you'd be divorced. No, I'm, no, I'm being serious. I'm being, I'm being serious. I need you to hear that though. I need you to hear that though because we don't, we, don't, we don't think about that. I was literally talking to my brother the other day. He was talking about his friends getting engaged and he's like, yeah, I can't miss their engagement. And I'm like, great, did you make sure that they are actually getting like some premarital guidance. He's like, hmm, no. I'm like, so you're going to go to the engagement? By, by all means, please do. But as that person's friend, are you making sure they're setting themselves up for success? Because there is a 50% divorce rate. That means if you split this room in half, all of us get married, one half is all divorced. And we don't think that's going to be us. We don't think that's going to be us. But anybody in here who has been through a divorce can tell you that that was not what they walked in expecting. Nobody expects that. But God knows what you actually need. And God knows what that next season will actually be like. I need you to hear this. Because some of us are laughing when we really need to be listening. Because it's for real. Some of us want a career that we're going to be lazy in. And we think when we get to this salary point that it's going to change our character. It's not. It'll change your character for a week and a half. Because you're excited. And then what do you do when you get disappointed again? How do you deal with disappointment? How do you deal with pressure? How do you deal with not getting what you want? Because that's going to be a part of every season you go into. So you have to learn how to be content. Learn how to be brought low. Learn how to abound. How do I act when I get everything I want? Do I stop coming to church because I got what I wanted? Got married, stopped coming to church. Got the job, stopped coming to church. I was only going there when I was in need. I have to learn how to abound. Sometimes having the abundance is worse than being in need. Do you know what abounding can do to your pride? Some of us, we think if we just get into the right position in life, that's when the right relationship will come. And let me tell you, through experience, that Gabrielle and I got together in one of the lowest seasons of my life. It was very unexpected. Not how I wanted it to go. At all. 
Like you're talking about a year in between, a year uh, at one point I'm doing phenomenally well. This is when I want my wife to come into my life. But God changed so much in my life in a season and brought me into a totally new space, brought me low. I didn't even have a job when we met or when we started dating. That was a humbling experience, but, but I, can't, I can't tell you how valuable it was to connect with her at that space in my life because though it was very difficult and it was humbling, very humbling for me, um, the fact that we connected in that season of my life and the fact that she was supporting me, it just showed me something that I wouldn't have seen if I was on the mountaintop. And so, the, so I know that with my wife, I can, we can be brought low. She's not going to look at me different if we're brought low. And I know that we can abound. We don't want those lessons, but we need those lessons because they are blessings in the long run. Some of us, we don't want the low points. We just want the high point. But at the high point, you want to say I was at the low point at one point. We love that story. Man, if y'all just knew what I was going through. I was sleeping in my car. I didn't have any money. I didn't even know what I was going to eat. Now look at me. I know you see all the blessings, but you don't know everything that I've been through and what I went through. That's what we want. <laughs> That's what we want, but we don't want it, though. We want the story. We just don't want to live the story. We want to, like, fast forward and just get to the good part. But God is not in a rush because God knows what's best for you and he wants what's best for you. And we have to learn how to be content because God is focused on who we are, not just on what we have. And many times we will be at a distance from God because we don't have what we have. And God wants us to draw near to work on who we are. That's the greatest blessing is changing who we are. Who you are is what God wants to work on, not just what you have. And if what you have changes who you are, he wants to work on that. That's what is most important. That is what's going to be the greatest door opener, game changer in your life, is you allowing God to change who you are, to deal with how you operate, to deal with your character, your heart, to deal with how you deal with stuff. How do you handle your disappointments is a huge factor in having anybody else in your life. If you go crazy when things don't go your way, that's not a good setup for having anybody else in your life. Is that the kind of spouse you want to be? Is that the kind of parent you want to be? Because those are the things that God is thinking about. Is having more going to change that about you? Is having more going to fix your anger? Is having more going to fix your impatience? Is having more going to fix your pride? No. And those are the things that God is actually concerned with. That's why the fruit of the Spirit 
are all character traits. And how you interact and deal with people, love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness. How are you guys been with gentleness lately? Because when I'm going through stuff, nothing in me wants to be gentle. I don't know about you, but like when I'm frustrated, gentleness is not like the most appealing approach to life. But that's what God wants to work on. Oh, you're great at being nice when everything's going your way. What about when things aren't? That's what God cares about. And here's what he wants to give you. He wants to give you peace. He wants to give you peace. This is, this is ultimately how I would sum all this up, what we're seeing in Paul's life. What we're seeing ooze through this letter is this immense peace, the peace of God. And so I have just three points I want to share with you about the peace of God before we go. Number one. We need to know where it comes from. Where does the contentment come from? Where does the peace come from? Where does the ability to be okay when things are not okay? Where does that come from? Peace is a result of God's grace. Peace is a result of God's grace. It's not a result of your circumstances changing. It's not the result of a new situation. It's not the result of anything except for the grace of God on your life. This is why Paul starts the letter and ends the letter the same way. He starts the letter saying this in verse two, grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And the last verse of this letter is verse 23 of chapter four. It says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Paul, he sandwiched this letter in grace. Let's start with grace. Let's end with grace. Peace is a result of the grace of God. And this is why peace oftentimes feels elusive. It feels like we can't grasp it because we're trying to find it by fixing stuff. We're trying to find it by getting stuff. We're trying to find it by changing stuff. And you can change stuff. You can fix stuff. You can solve problems and still not have peace. Because peace is a result of the grace of God. This is why you, you can't find it anywhere else. This is why Jesus is described as the prince of peace. I don't see any other uh, God on the planet described in that way. People serve a lot of different gods, do a lot of different stuff, and they're all looking for peace. Unable to find it. And Jesus said that he would be called Everlasting Father, Mighty God, Wonderful Counselor, and Prince of Peace. He rules over peace. He oversees peace. He stands over peace. He distributes peace. It comes from his hand, and it is a result of his grace, his grace toward you. And that's just favor. Grace is just the unearned favor of God. Nothing you did could earn it. There's nothing you could do to work for it. It's just given to you by God through Jesus Christ. You receiving Jesus Christ is you receiving the grace of God over your life. And peace flows through that grace. Peace is a result of the grace of God. 
The grace of God is powerful. This is why Paul says in another letter, the second letter to the Corinthians in chapter 12, verses 8 through 9, he says, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me, talking about an affliction that he had. And, and he says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. That means it's enough for you. It's all that you need. My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. When we resist and reject weakness, we resist and reject the power of God and the grace of God because that's where we find it. We find the grace of God at our end point. Like when you can't go any further, that's when the grace of God is needed. When you've done all you can do, when your abilities are tapped out, that's why God will let you spend everything you got trying to figure it all out yourself until you come to him. Nothing changes. His grace is made perfect. His grace is sufficient for you and his power is made perfect in your weakness. Your weakness puts the power of God on display. When you have nothing to give, that's when God steps in. All right, tap me in now. Are you done? Bet, tap me in. His power is made perfect in weakness, and his grace is sufficient. His grace is not just good. His grace is not just, oh, it's a blessing. Thank you for your grace. Let me say grace over my food. His grace is sufficient for your life. All you need is the grace of God is what he's saying. That means you don't have to have it all figured out. You don't have to have all the answers. You don't need all your situations changed. You need the grace of God in your life and on your life. And Paul is saying so much that he needs the grace of God so much that he will boast. He will brag about being weak if it'll get the power of Jesus on him. I'll brag about the things I'm not good at, the things that I can't fix, the things that I can't figure out, the ways that I messed up, if that means I'm going to get some power on my life, is what he's saying. And yet many of us are being sold the story and we're buying the story of the world that says, figure it all out yourself. You need to be the person. You can be God. You're so powerful, king. <laughs> what do you rule over? What are you king of? What are you queen of? What are you queen of? Your apartment? Like, we need the grace of God. We need the grace of God. And we receive that through humility, through understanding that we need his grace, through weakness. It's a gift to us. We see it modeled by the Jesus that we follow where he did not respond to his attackers, to his insulters. He did not respond through just outward strength, but he submitted himself to God and God the Father worked it all out. The grace of God is what we need and you'll find peace through the grace of God. You don't have to have it all figured out yourself. Some of you think if you could just fix your situation, you'll find peace. And that's why it's so elusive. It's available to you right now through Jesus. It's actually available to you. And uh, especially if you understand this next point, that after peace is a result of the grace of God, peace is a result of prayer. Some of us, we don't have peace because we're not praying. You're not going to have peace if you don't pray. 
But we want to wait until we have peace to pray. You will not have peace if you don't pray. But most of the time we want to wait until we get peace to pray. I want to wait until I feel better to go to God. I want to wait till I got a little more energy. I'm a little bit more upbeat. Don't feel like talking right now. God, I'm not really a morning person. Waiting until this situation gets figured out. Waiting until you provide some stuff for me, then I'll pray. No, you get peace through prayer. How do I know? Well, in this same letter from prison, Paul says this. Philippians 4, verses 4 through 8. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything. Say everything. everything. Say it again. Everything. everything. In everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Many times we let our requests sit in a queue in our head. They're just sitting there like me. I, and then I even wrote them down. I got 20 things. Not being made known to God, they're just known to me and they're making me frustrated. Let your requests be made known to God. Then verse 7 says, and what? And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. How's that been going in your life? Is your mind continually on what is true and honorable and just and pure and lovely and commendable and what is excellent. If there's anything worthy of praise, is that where your mind normally is? Or is it normally on things that are bothering you and things that are, are not working out in your life? Is it normally on the questions that you have and the disappointments that you're experiencing? Because if that's the case, it's going to be hard to have peace. Peace is very much a result of perspective. And God will align your perspective when you pray. This is what I've been experiencing. I've been finding in life that I got nothing but God and no weapon but prayer. Like I'll try to fix everything myself and then when I can't, all I can do is pray. And I've found that God is bringing me to that place because it's good for me. Because so what you pray when things are going well. So what you pray when you're happy. So what you have a discipline when you're not disappointed. Prayer really kicks in when you really need it. But most of the time when we're in need, we get mad at God and we don't want to go to God when we're in need. When, what sense does that make? He's the God who meets needs. It's what he does in our life. If you have a need, you need God. We all need God. It's just a matter of whether we're going to him or not. Or we're wasting our lives and wasting ourselves and wasting our resources everywhere else. But you need God. And peace is going to come as a result of prayer. I was amazed. I'm going to be real with y'all. I was amazed at how much better I felt just today 
after really walking through this and really praying through this and really reminding myself and allowing God to remind me of who he is, the calling on our lives, what he's actually calling us to, that he's not calling us to a life of ease or comfort or situations always being perfect, but he's actually calling us to just continually walk with him no matter what's going on. And it's going to get tested because you're going to have new stuff happening. But will you pray and will you experience the power of prayer? People who have prayed in difficult times and seen God show up will have a different perspective on prayer than people who just kind of tap in every now and then with God. But when you're going through something, when you need peace and you go to a place of prayer, you will find the prince of peace. You will find the peace of God. Listen to what Paul says. The peace of God that surpasses all understanding. That means that you're in a situation where it is not understandable for you to have peace and you have it. And not only do you have it, it's guarding your heart and it's guarding your mind. There is something strong in your mind guarding you against the, against the defeat, against the discouragement, against the disappointment, against the disillusionment. The peace of God will guard your heart and guard your mind and not make any sense to anybody but you because you know it's just God. That is the peace of God. That's a different kind of peace. That's not the peace you protect. That's the peace that protects you. And so we try to protect peace by removing challenges from our lives. And the peace of God stands with us in the midst of our challenges and puts God on display to the world. You have a peace that surpasses understanding. Please explain it to me is what that does. And it's a result of prayer because notice what he says. He doesn't just say walk around, wake up, stress about stuff and the peace of God is gonna guard your heart. He says, don't be anxious about anything. Instead, in everything through prayer and supplication and with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. And then the peace of God that surpasses understanding will guard your heart and guard your mind in Christ Jesus. Many of us, we've been looking for the peace of God and we miss the whole pathway to get there. It's the not being anxious. It's the instead of being anxious, because some of you guys are gonna hear that as like, don't be anxious, but you're like, but I feel anxious. So how do I just not be anxious? You do that by taking the thing that you're anxious about and making it a request to God and then believing that he actually hears you and believing that he will actually meet your need and walking by faith, not by sight. Because if you're walking by sight, you will be anxious. If you're walking by sight, you won't have peace because your sight is gonna tell you nothing's changing. Your sight is gonna tell you this is too big of an obstacle. Your sight is gonna tell you nothing's ever gonna work out for you, but faith will tell you that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Faith will tell you that the peace of God will guard your heart and guard your mind if you keep walking. Faith will tell you that not to get weary in well-doing. Don't get weary in doing well. He says this, but we will reap a harvest in the end if we don't faint. That means things are going to be so difficult sometimes that you want to faint. That's what the word of God says. 
We'll reap a harvest in the end if we faint not. Sometimes we quote that like, oh, if we faint not. No, he's saying like, if you don't pass out, you'll make it. (laughs) That's why I need God, because that's not easy. That means life is going to squeeze on you so much sometimes that you got two choices. You're going to quit or you're going to submit. And you're going to say, God, I don't know what to do, but I'm not going anywhere. And I need you to be who you said you would be. And so I encourage some of you guys, all of you guys, actually, I encourage each and every one of you to step into the place of prayer and pray with the authority given to you by Christ. Sometimes we're getting beat down by stuff that God gave us authority over. Me too. I mean, it just sneaks up and you're like, now this seems really insurmountable. It, sounds, it seems really big. And I may have prayed with authority about it a few weeks ago, but man, it's still here and this is challenging. But can I tell you, keep going, keep praying. Keep walking. God will meet you. God will show up. God will walk with you through the valley. He'll walk with you on the mountaintop. He'll teach you the secret of being content in every situation. You can do all things through Christ who will give you strength. Christ has to give you strength, though. Like, you need his strength. So if you feel weak, you need the strength of Christ. And that's going to be accessed through prayer. God, I need you. God, you are my provider, and I believe that you'll provide. God, you are my healer, and I believe that you will heal. God, you are my victory. You are the Lord, our victory. You are the Lord, our deliverer, the Lord, our sanctifier, the Lord, our righteousness. When I can't seem to get free from sin, you are the Lord who cleanses me. So no matter what I'm seeing, I might be seeing a pattern in my life of sin, but faith tells me that you are the sanctifier, you are the cleanser, you are with me. And if I'm faith, if I will confess my sin to you, you are faithful and just to forgive me and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. So either I'm going to sit around in unrighteousness or I'm going to walk in what you've given me and I'm going to declare that over my life and something will start stirring inside of you. And the next thing you know, you got peace. Guarding your heart and guarding your mind. And some of us, we haven't had that peace because we haven't been praying. And last, peace is a result of practice. Here's what he says after uh, verse 8. He says, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. He doesn't say have peace so that you can practice these things. He doesn't say wait until you feel better, wait until you have peace to practice what you know to do. He says practice what you know to do and you will have peace. But peace sometimes comes as you're practicing. So we wait. Here's what we do. We wait for peace to show up so that we can practice the word of God and we can pray. And we can be like that for years. And we can walk around and we can be accusing God of being wrong. God hasn't been coming through for me. God hasn't been giving me peace. I've been anxious. And he's saying, if you prayed and practiced, you would have found the peace. Because it's right here. He says it. 
We expect it to work differently than what he says? Something in us does. Something in me does. But this is why I love having the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Holy Spirit, to remind me, a whisper sometimes, when I'm struggling to say, you can do all things through him who gives you strength. You might need to go read that. So I just walked around and I read it until I believed it. Practice these things. You know a lot more than what you practice. You may not know the whole Bible, but you know enough to be doing more than you do. I can guarantee you that, that there's some room for improvement in all of our lives. You know more than what you do. Let that keep you humble. Stop blaming God. Stop judging God. Stop criticizing God. Stop accusing God and start being realistic. I'm not doing what you told me to do. So things aren't working out. Help me to do better. I don't even pray so nothing in my life changes. But I'm discouraged and that's why I don't pray. So help me to pray. Oh, look, I'm praying. Because I brought that request to God instead of just letting it be a frustration for me. And this is how you walk in freedom. So I want to close here. He says something powerful back in in chapter 2. Some of you guys have have heard um, this before, but I want to share it with you now in the context of of the rest of the letter. He says in chapter 2, verses 12 through 13, he says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, that's the next verse. I had it backwards in my notes. It's not their fault. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Leave that up there for a second. This is an interesting way of putting this. He says, work out your own salvation. Stop worrying about what everybody else has going on. Stop worrying about who's saved, who's not saved, who's a false prophet, who's a false teacher, who's fake, who's real. Stop criticizing everybody else's walk and work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, like the rest of this letter and all of its commands about prayer and about peace and about stuff like don't, don't grumble about anything, having the humility of Christ, taking on the humility of a servant, like work those things out. Stop worrying about what other people have going on. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, like a reverence for God. This is a serious thing. But here's, here's, the, here's the funny thing. He says, work out your own salvation. But then he says, for it is God who works in you. You don't do anything by yourself. God does not leave you to fix yourself, to figure out everything by yourself. It is God who works in you, 
both to what? To will and to work. That means God will work on your will. He'll work on your desires. He'll work on what you want. The fact that you don't want God as much as you should, he'll work on. The fact that you don't want to pray, he'll work on. The fact that you don't want to practice the things you know you're supposed to practice, he'll work on. He will work in you both to will and to work. To want to do the right things and to do the right things. He'll give you the desire to please him and the power to obey him is what another translation says. And this was a very encouraging scripture for me to read some years ago when I was struggling with a repetitive sin and and seeing, oh, wow, God will change my desires. Like, I don't just have to change what I do and come to God. But part of me working out my own salvation is just submitting to that process and doing the rest of what he said, like praying. But now I know what to pray. God, help me to want what you want. That's a powerful prayer. That is a powerful prayer. Some of you need to pray that tonight. I would encourage all of us to pray that tonight, to pray that tomorrow. You need to pray that each and every day of your life. God, help me to want what you want. Do you know the kind of person you will start to become when you want the things that God wants? When you're not in a constant wrestle with God because you want one thing and he wants another, that it is him who will work in you both to desire to obey him and to do what pleases him. God will work on you when you commit to working things out. But it starts with a reverence, starts with a humility and acknowledgement of who he is. Some of you guys, man, you've gotten to the end of yourself and that's exactly where he wants you to be because his power is made perfect in your weakness. I want us to stand to our feet. His power is made perfect in weakness. I know that inevitably many of you have been feeling like peace has been difficult to attain. That you don't know how to get the peace of God. Situations can be so stressful in life. You can be going through so much in life. You're like, if I could just get to the next thing, if I could just get this thing that I need, I've got this need, and if I could just get the need met, I will be at peace. And that's a lie. It's a lie. Because if it was true, then that's what he would have said. He would have said, just work harder, do better, figure it all out yourself, and then the peace of God will guard your heart. But he doesn't say that. He says, humble yourself. Acknowledge that you can't do it all. Make your request known to God because he is the request meter. He is the problem solver. He is the issue fixer. But it has to be a request before he does a repair. And so if, if that's you tonight, before we move forward, if, if you're like where I was, like I've got 
so much going on or this one thing I've got going on seems so big that it's been difficult for me to have peace. It may have been difficult for you to pray. You may have been feeling overwhelmed. Maybe you've been feeling anxious. I want us to take a step tonight. I want us to take a step tonight because I don't want you to leave here not getting what God has for you. Because it's, it's not about the situation changing tonight. God can change the situation. I'm not saying that your situation won't change. But it's not about your situation changing tonight for you to have peace. It's about God getting in your situation that will bring you peace. And so if that's you, if you need to invite God into the situation, I just invite you to come fill this place. And, and here's why. Romans, 1, Romans 12 says this. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. You know what that means? I'm giving God everything. We call this an altar not because there's anything special about the front of a room. You guys can fill in. It's not about because there's something special about the front of a room, just inherently special. It's about how we treat this place. In, in scripture, they built altars to God to make a sacrifice. A, a sacrifice would go on an altar, and, and I just know that God doesn't want you to kill an animal or, or bring some money up here. God wants you. He wants you. And you will start finding the peace of God when you bring your person to God. Like when you bring you, not just your situation, I didn't tell you to bring your situation down here. I didn't tell you to bring your worries down here, your problem down here, what you're worried about down here. Bring you. Bring you. God, I'm giving you me. And everything that comes along with me, every situation I'm in, every worry I have, every concern that I have, I'm giving you myself. And that's where God will meet you. Every time you build an altar in your home, you build an altar in your car, you build an altar where you are offering yourself to God. And we have the greatest, most gracious God who meets us and says, my grace is always here for you. And my grace is not some weak thing. My grace is not just something that I say and I talk about. My grace is power. My grace is substance. My grace is sufficient. You will start seeing peace in your life through my grace. You will start navigating your situations differently through my grace. Some of you guys are going to experience a grace to pray. Some of you guys just haven't felt a grace to pray. It's been feeling like work. It's been feeling like a struggle. It's been feeling like you're just, like the heavens are just bouncing your prayers back to you. But God will pour out a grace on you even to pray, a grace to read his word. That's what I experienced today. I'm telling you, this letter that Paul wrote to the Philippians, it opened up to me because God wanted it to. Just by taking another step by saying, God, I don't have it figured out, but I know that I need you. I know that I need you to meet me. I know that I need you. I know that you'll provide for me. I don't know how yet. I don't know how. And can I tell you that in the last week, he, he hasn't changed the circumstances. But so much has changed in me. So much has changed in me right now from this morning. 
the fact that I'm able to be here doing this right now. The grace of God, the grace of God, and a grace came over me to pray, and a grace came over to me, oh, came over me to read his word, a grace came over me to worship him. And so I want to pray for that for each and every person here. If, if you'll just lift your hands and receive. Lord, I thank you so much for your children. Lord, I thank you that we, we, we are your children. Lord, that you care for us. You said cast our cares onto you because you care for us. You said to cast our anxieties onto you. Lord, we, we live in an anxious world. We live in an anxious place, an anxious society. We're surrounded by reasons to be anxious and people who are anxious. And God, you are saying that we can have peace that guards our heart and guards our minds, God, that, that you are the prince of peace, that we can have access to the peace of God and the God of peace. Lord, I pray for your grace to wash over your children right now. Lord, I pray for you to pour out your spirit Pour out your anointing, Lord, so that we can walk in your ways, so that we can live how you want us to live, think how you want us to think. God, for each and every person struggling in their thoughts, Lord, I just pray for a grace over their mind to wash over them in the name of Jesus. And Lord, I thank you that, that as they follow your instruction to just make their requests known, Lord, I thank you that you are true to your word, you will honor what you've said, your peace will guard their heart and guard their mind in Christ Jesus. Lord, I pray that over their households. God, some of them live in households of anxiousness. And Lord, I thank you that they are beacons of light even in a dark place. Some of us are the only one in our household walking with you. And God, I pray for a guarding peace, God. Not a weak peace, Lord. Not a, not a fleeting peace. Lord, I pray for a peace that will guard their heart and guard their mind in Christ Jesus, a peace that points only to Jesus Christ, a peace that points to the power of God, walking with them, God. Lord, I thank you that you dwell with us. You are Emmanuel, God with us. And Lord, I just pray for your ministry right now, God. That's been in my heart today, Lord. I know that you minister to your people. God, you minister to me. You minister to us. Lord, would you minister to your people right now? God, would you speak to them in the midst of their situation? God, would you tell them that, that you're close by, God? Would you remind them and would you give them a sense of your presence, Lord? I'm so often comforted by just the sense of your presence, God. And I pray that over my son. I pray that he feels your presence in his room. I, feel that, I pray that he feels your presence, God. Lord, because he, he's too young to know that you're there. I pray that he feels that you're there. And God, these are your children. Lord, even when they don't know it, I pray that they'll feel it, God. Even when they don't know what you're doing. I pray that they feel that you're doing something. God, even when they don't know how you're going to work it out, Lord, I pray that they will feel your presence with them, that they will sense you with them, that they will sense your protection, that they will sense your hand on their lives. God, I pray that you will continue to speak to them in the small and intimate ways that you do, God. Speak to them in the ways that they know it's you, God. Confirmation through people, God. Praying and, and hearing from you, God, I pray that as they open up your word, Lord, that they will receive an impartation from you, God. I pray that they will receive revelation from you, God. And Lord, I pray that even like we talked to, about tonight, Lord, that 
peace is, is a result of prayer. God, I pray for a grace of prayer. Lord, we need a praying church. We need praying Christians. We don't need talking Christians. We need praying Christians. We don't need opinionated Christians. We need praying Christians. And Lord, I pray that we would be a praying church, God. Lord, that you would walk among this place and find people of prayer, people who love you, people who know you, people who believe you, God, people who believe that you are who you say you are, people who desire you, Lord. And I pray for a grace of prayer over each and every person who wants it, Lord. I pray from the front to the back of this room for a grace for prayer, Lord, prayer for people they don't know, prayer for people they do know. God, I pray that you would remind them of the power of prayer when they start worrying. Lord, when they run into situations, they don't know how they're going to figure out. God, I pray that you will remind them of the power of prayer and pour over them a grace to pray. And Lord, I pray also for practicing, practicing the things that we've heard and the things that we know, the things that we've seen. Lord, practicing the things that you've taught us. Lord, I pray because you said that it's you who works in us to desire and to do, to will and to work. Lord, I pray for a grace for practicing the word of God. Lord, would you help us to be doers of the word? We struggle with it, God. We struggle with it, God. We hear the word and we struggle to do it. We struggle to submit. We struggle to obey. Lord, we, we submit to our flesh so often, but God, would you help us to be children who walk by your spirit and walk in step with you and walk in obedience to you, God, no matter how inconvenient it is, Lord, no matter how uncomfortable it is, no matter what's going on in our lives, Lord, I pray that we would practice your word, that we would practice what we preach, God, and that we would be a true light in the world. We don't need Christians who look like everybody else. You don't need children who look like everybody else and nobody knows who our father is because we look like everybody else and talk like everybody else and think like everybody else. Lord, I pray that we would be a reflection of our father, that we would walk in a way that points to you. We would talk in a way that points to you, God, that our language, what we speak, would be a reflection of how you speak. And we'd stop making excuses for talking reckless. God, I pray that we would practice what you've taught us. And Lord, and I pray that as this takes place, Lord, I pray for a supernatural peace to wash over our homes, God. A supernatural peace. Come on, if you want the peace of God in your life, if you want the peace of God in your life, can we just start worshiping him like he's worthy? Can we start worshiping him like he's gracious? Can we start worshiping him like he loves us, like he knows us, like he spoke to us tonight, like he ministers to us? Come on, we don't have to stop. Keep worshiping, keep worshiping, keep worshiping. There's something powerful that's taking place as you're worshiping. Chains start breaking when you're worshiping. Sometimes it starts with a prayer and it needs to evolve into a praise. Sometimes you start, you start loosening the chains through your prayer and they start breaking when you praise. Sometimes the demons get uncomfortable when you pray and they start fleeing when you worship. And so can we worship the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, God Almighty, El Shaddai, you are more than enough. 
You are the Lord, our deliverer, the Lord, our victory, the Lord, our righteousness, the Lord, our presence, the Lord who cleanses us, God. You are with us and you are Jehovah Shalom, the Lord, our peace. Let's worship.